0: This is David's Book Talk, bringing authors and book lovers together in a unique way since 2009. Visit us at davidsbooktalk.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash davidsbooktalk. But first, pull up a chair, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Here's your host, David English.
1: Hello and welcome to David's Book Talk. Today we're going to talk to Andrew Gooley, and he is the managing editor of the Strand Magazine, which just published a Her- owner's Hemingway story in the June to October issue. Hello, how are you?
2: I'm great. Good to be
1: here. Good to have you on. It's good. To, how did this? How many years has this magazine been printing? It's been twenty years. Twenty years, and it's. 20. I mean, it's one yeah. of the most beautiful magazines I've ever seen. I mean, the color it is just amazing. I mean, I got, you can just go flip through it numerous times and, and see a book you didn't see before.
2: I love, to, I love to hear people say that because it's, it's a lot of hard work. gets put into uh, to making sure everything goes right, the colors look bright. You, know, you, you end up becoming a very obsessive person who will look at a menu and start criticizing it because you'll think that the color is off because they're just like always focusing on color and on layout
1: right and, and the smell i love the smell of this magazine you know how magazines have a certain smell to them sometimes but this one has a beautiful smell to it. i just <laughs> i just love that how do you get that smell anyway i mean what do you what, what is it just the paper
2: it's the, i think it's the ink and the paper but uh, our printers moved into like a silk type of paper so it's uh, that's going to make us give us less smell of ink so it's not it's like five-year-old magazines, aren't going to smell like they were uh, just off the press an hour ago. Right.
1: My only complaint is it's not published enough, and I'm sure you get that same complaint from a lot of people.
2: I get that from so 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 many people. But the thing about it is, when you want to make a have a very very high quality product, you know, you just can't. It won't be as high quality as it is if we publish more frequently.
3: Right.
1: So but
2: one day along the line, it's our hope to. Uh, to be able to afford to do that and I keep have a, the quality and publish it more right. fre- frequently
1: i have a friend who gets every he, he loves to get every issue and he keeps saying to me i'm afraid to subscribe because i'm afraid it's going to go out of business and i say, well jack there's no indication of that there's no indication this magazine's going out of business
2: well uh, we're, we're going nowhere <laughs> <laughs> we've been this is our 20th year so you know we uh, you know we're very Stable, and we just uh, I mean, the reason it will never go out of business is because we don't overextend it.
1: I'm looking at this this illustration on I don't know what page, page you know, for 44. The guy looking behind him, and they, these illustrations are are one, wonderful. How do you find such gifted artists to, to do these illustrations? It's it's not easy to find artists
2: because you can get artists who you'll look at their portfolio and then they'll just give something to you that's a little better than a stick figure. With right. Some padding. <laughs> so uh, you know, we've had a, a fantastic illustrator, Jeffrey McKeever, out of uh, out of New Jersey, and he's been with us for about for about eight years now, and he's just brilliant. And when Jeff's plate is full, we have some other very good illustrators who. who and he did the thru- he,
1: he did the illustrations for the Sherlock Holmes story. What a magnificent!
3: Oh,
1: that's something to be really proud of. I mean that that picture of the guy sitting with a blanket on his lap and, and Watson and Holmes. I guess that's Watson and Holmes. Is that just.
2: It is, it is. Yeah, he's a talent. The thing that I like about him is a few times, and I don't want to like you know, sound like I'm criticizing any other illustrators, but I've had some people, and you'll contact them, and then they'll send you something, and then you just realize it's a compendium of, uh, mm-hmm. of uh, digital images turned into artwork. And this guy, everything is a painting.
1: That's magnificent. I mean, uh, the talent he must have—obviously, that he does have—is is unbelievable. I mean, and I guess he would probably look at it and, and see if there were any flaws. He would see them, but I can't see any flaws. You know, I, all I see is a beautiful work of art.
2: Yeah, he's probably done about—he's probably done about seventy illustrations for us, and probably twice I've told him that maybe he should change something slightly. Right. And That to me is astonishing. It's just, I don't
1: know where you get that talent. I guess you're just born with it. I swear, I mean, some people just have, just are amazing. Now, tell me about this Ernest Hemingway story. This has never been published anywhere else?
2: No, this is the first time it was published, uh, and uh, it's been in the Library of Congress and in the JFK Library for decades. Uh, in fact, Hemingway's uh, widow ended up taking the, this manuscript and a bunch of other... Letters and works and original manuscripts and bringing them from Cuba to the United States. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah. So I'm just happy that this is in the United States rather than in an abandoned house in Cuba.
1: I mean, you look at the cover and you think "Fiction by Ernest Hemingway." You know, you think what what hasn't been published by Ernest Hemingway? <laughs> That's what the, your first thought is there's stuff that hasn't been published by Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and. It's just a short story, but it's still, I mean, it's, you feel like, wow, that's interesting. You know, it, you don't see that in every magazine, and you won't see that in any other magazine, I guess.
2: No, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just proud, and I'm just I'm just always in disbelief about the number of people we've published who have never been, you know, works un, unpublished by writers like Steinbeck and F. Scott Fitzgerald and uh, William Faulkner, Mark Twain, so... To me, it's just like a, it's like a dream because when I started in this business, I never for once realized that this would be a big part of our, uh, a big part of our routine of publishing these works by these great authors. I thought, you know, the odd thing will show up now and then in, a, in an academic journal, but I didn't think that there was this much out there, and I didn't think that there would be this much interest for all of this.
3: Exactly, and
1: thank God people still read a lot. And you know, they say you know, the books' are, sales are down, but you know, it's like who wants? To, I, I'd love to read a book. There's nothing like sitting with a book in your hand and reading it to me. I don't. Nothing replaces that for me, and I, I hope a lot of people feel that same way because it, you know, while I see that e-books are easier, I, I just don't get into it.
2: It is difficult. Maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm a Luddite or a old putty duddy. I'm 42, so I don't know if I can, I, I can uh, get that term yet, that title yet, but I find that when you have an ebook, you lose a physical bond with the written word. And I love to like check off places in a, in a physical book that I'm reading to go back to. And in an ebook, you don't have that. I love to like compare one page to another, and say, okay, let's read this paragraph on page 22, and then this one by 55, and then I'll look at them side by side and compare, Mm -hmm. and that's lost when you have an e-book, and also, I think the retention is not as, uh, your retention is poor compared to reading a physical book. Exactly. That at least is a case of
1: myself. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine anything else. I, I love holding a book in my hand. I I can't get, I can't do anything else. I just just, it's not in me to. And I've read, like, I'll read a short story on on ebook, something to catch up with the the story maybe. But, I, I you know, and I, I hope we don't get to the point where it's all ebooks and no regular books. I can't even imagine. I mean. There's nothing that replaces walking into a bookstore and the pleasure you get out of looking at books. Nothing ever is going to replace that.
2: I don't think that'll happen. I mean, in our area, we're opening up a New Barnes & Noble, so right. Anytime now, you hear a New Barnes & Noble opening up, that's, that's cause for some optimism.
1: Now, you are you, I don't know if you are or not, are you related to the Strand Bookstore in any way?
2: We are not, you know. It's, it's, it's just so funny that when we started, nobody would ask us that question, but there's just been this uh, trajectory of the Strand bookstore being more prominent in the Strand magazine get a getting a name for itself for publishing these unpublished works. So I'm sure they're asked the same thing and we're asked the same thing, but I have to say while we're at it, that is one heck of a bookstore. I mean, it is. you know, throw me into Book Paradise when I'm over there.
1: And how can they not carry your magazine after all it's called The Strand?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, you can't imagine
1: them. Not, yeah. They must have seen it somewhere, and, and you know you got to have it in the store. If it's called the Strand Magazine, or just Strand. Yeah. Actually, yours is just called Strand Magazine. There's no the there, yeah.
2: on it. but we you know, used to be called the, but we uh, we decided to streamline it.
1: So, what exactly does Strand mean then? What, I mean, what is exactly what what is the connotation of of the word?
2: Well, the Strand is a street in London.
1: Not the and same I mean, magazine as this.
2: No, we purchased the trademark uh, to oh. it uh, in 1998. So I mean, it's as you can imagine. There's like you know, there's a lot that has passed. It's not like we have any you know staff members or or anything of that nature. But you know, we are uh, we are in spirit the New Strand Magazine. And we have been for the past 20 years. There was a revival, in, in, interestingly, in, 19, in the 1960s, but unfortunately it did not go very far. Right.
1: Now, how many issues do you publish a year?
2: We publish... Uh, we, we we put it this way. If a person subscribes for a year, they will get four issues in the space about, of about
1: 14 months. Right, four in 14 months.
2: Yeah. So it's like, you know, I... I You know, people sometimes will say, oh, my God, you know, it's it's been a year and I
0: only got three issues. And
2: I'm like, well, if you wait another month and a half, you'll get the fourth. And it's not like we'll, you know, contact people and tell them to renew if they've subscribed for a year. We contact them and tell them to renew if they have uh, four issues of the magazine for a year subscription.
1: Right, exactly. So that's over 14. That's interesting that it's over 14 months. I've never heard of a magazine publishing over the space of 14 months before. That's something Who knows? very Maybe different. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, but the way the magazines are going now, I mean, they're publishing less than they used to publish. I mean, it's you know things that were. I mean, Entertainment Weekly used to be every week. Now it's only forty six weeks a year. They've cut back for uh, you know six issues. So I mean, the magazines are starting to cut back a little bit, and you know that's annoying when you're used to getting it every week and you want it every week and you don't you know the the, the reader doesn't like that <laughs> you can't change the, you can't change it without the reader getting upset is the bottom line I guess
2: yeah I mean it's just it's, it's a challenging business because you know when we we started out there was borders and Barnes and noble and then just overnight borders went away and nobody replaced them for carrying the magazine so it's just a lot of people have felt that challenge and the more they've you know, the more they've, uh, the bigger they were, the more you know, big offices that they had in New York, the more that they ended up suffering from it all.
1: Now, you you actually published stories by by famous writers too. I mean, you I mean, we're not just talking about. Uh, I mean, Ernest Hemingway, of course, is one of the most famous. But I mean, you a lot of your your stories are not just by necessarily. There's one in here by David Markham. I've never heard of David Markham, but. Uh, you you have a lot of different well-known authors that publish stories in here, too, don't you?
2: Yeah, we like to have it a mix between the known and the well-known. And to be frank with you, for the past couple of years, I'm turning into trying to get some lesser-known authors, too, because when I started out, I just had to.
1: Is, which is you know does everything that get published in the magazine is it is everything that's published in there something you like? for books i mean you just go through and it just it just catches you. i mean right away you want to know what the books about you want to you because when you see the the covers on these books it's, it's really an amazing thing i mean you just and it's, it's this magazine is chock full of ads for books i mean it, the reader just salivates turning the pages on these things you know and uh, and are you a big mystery reader yourself
2: i am but to be frank with you when I when I was uh, when I was a, a teenager, I was much much more fanatical than I am now. Right. Now i uh, now I start reading about American history, and I despised American history as a teenager. I was like, this is so boring. We know we kicked out the Brits. Right. We know about the Civil War. We know about what a what a big big you know tough guy Theodore Roosevelt was. We know about the New Deal. Okay, enough. <laughs> and then the interesting thing is along the way, I've become like, okay, I'm reading books like Berlin, 1961, and I'm reading books all about the Civil War, and I'm reading about uh, uh, Henry Well, everybody's Adam's different. Yeah,
1: you know, everybody's different. Everybody, you know, you, you latch on to something that really interests you, you keep at it. You enjoy it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you keep yeah. enjoying reading something you enjoy? And that's, you know, that's what how everybody feels. I mean, I... I never get tired of reading mysteries. I never I never have, and I don't think I ever will. And, you know, but, you know, sometimes the pattern of them is, the, I mean, if it's the same kind of story each time you get tired of that. Maybe you need to move on to something different, but, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, my, my criticism is at times, you know, you can get the cookie-cutter mold type of mystery, and, you know, it's like authors can feel pressurized into thinking that, you know, they're, works are a commodity and their works are not a work of art. Mm-hmm. You know, and when that happens, you know, people lose interest and these authors eventually can get a drop in their readership when people get tired of it. But a lot of times, you know, readers themselves are guilty into being like, Oh, we just want the same thing because we look at this as a safe then.
1: Right. What was the last you know, what was the last really great mystery novel you read?
2: That's a good, good, good question. I would say, uh, I would say the Paris diversion by Chris Pavoni. Really? That's, that's that's brilliant.
1: I've that's, heard that's that name. I've never read him. I think I have one of one or two books by him, but I don't. I haven't read him yet.
2: He's kind of like a contemporary Eric Ambler. I mean, uh, the best mystery, the best spy slash thriller I've ever ever read is Legends by Robert Littell.
1: Hmm. Oh, I know that name. Yeah. you have a you you like a mixture of stuff you, you what 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 you enjoy is a, is a sort of mixture which is i guess what everybody likes i mean you have you have the authors like louise penny that everybody seems to love because well, she is brilliant there's no doubt about that yeah she's a brilliant writer and i i do enjoy reading her books there's, and i always will i'm sure but then you, you know you wonder why more really great books don't catch on why you know why? Why isn't everybody a James Patterson? Why is you know why are why are some forgotten that that aren't that that are really good? Well,
2: so a couple of things that are involved. One is if you throw a lot of money at a book, you're going to sell a lot of copies. Mm-hmm. You know, in the odd time people, odd publishers, throw a lot of money at books, and they'll find nothing will happen, and it'll be just this source of frustration. When I've spoken to publishers who who, you know, sadly, they're always in a state of gambling at at things because very few things are a guarantee. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they'll be like, I put all this money, I put a lot of my capital in the company, betting on this book, and no matter what I do, we're operating under a lot. You know, but lots of times I remember when the the audiobook publisher of The Twilight contacted me and he said, Andrew, we're going to sell billions of copies. Exaggeration, of course, but he's like, "This is going to be big." He says, "Everybody in the and it was." And I remember, you know, when I was talking to my friends at Knopf, they gave me a copy of *The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo*, and I thought it was a good book, needed maybe a little editing, but they said that they're gonna that it's going to be one of the best books of the decade, and and it you know it was in terms of sales. So, I mean, I think the thing that we do know. That if a publisher is not going to back a book, you know, to the you know back a book with a lot of uh, marketing and publicity and advertising, that the chance of the book becoming an outlier and selling tons of copies is very, 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 very split. And
1: you got all and you got all these writers out there who you know live and die by whether their books get published, and, and you kind of feel for them and that, that they don't get the publicity that other writers get but you know what do you do you work as hard as you can do find the best publishing company to publish your book and hope that they promote the hell out of it
2: or authors you know need to just take some matters into their own hands and get a twitter following and get it into facebook and use all sorts of social media i'm seeing authors are taking more of a hands-on approach and to me right
1: yes yeah, you know, that's
2: welcome news because if you have one public, if you have a single publicist who's working on your book and twenty five other books, you know that's that's a, publicists are fantastic people, fantastic advocates, but at the end of the day, you need to be your best advocate and you need to be your biggest fan because you know at the at the bottom line is at the end of the day, you know. You you need to make sure that your book is going to sell. And the writers are very aggressive. The writers are all out there, you know, mm-hmm. talking to publishers, talking to other, talking to other uh, journalists, book reviewers. You know, the people are very well connected and very determined. And even I, dare I say, very pushy. They're doing well <laughs> for the most
1: part. Right, exactly. Now, how many people does it take to put out an issue of the Strand? I mean, a typical issue takes how many people work together to put it out?
2: Well, if you look, there's you know there's a couple of people in terms of advertising, a couple of layout people, a couple of cover design. I would say easily it takes about twelve people to put it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's uh, and it's something where after every time the magazine is gone to press, I'm in complete exhaustion and I'm asking myself why did I do it? Because it, it's sort of like, and I'm not making myself out to be like a film director by any means. The film in a magazine something different, but if you look at it, a magazine almost as if it's a film, you look and you see how you need to have balance, how you need to have everything tied together, how it needs to be well edited, needs to be concise. You need to avoid having the point where you know, there's an issue where you get 50, you know, five stories all about, you know, the man killing his wife or the wife killing her husband, or then all five stories are funny. And then you'll look and you'll see, oh, there are reviews just as 15 international mysteries and only one uh, police procedural. So, above uh, above everything, you need to have it entertaining, you need to have it concise, and Mm -hmm. also you need to have it balanced because you just
1: different authors i mean you there's always ones you you you'll never miss you never miss anything they write because you just love the way they write and that's yeah. always going to be that way i mean it, and some writers in my mind are better than others and i and i i feel that way i just feel that way i don't know why i feel that way i i just feel some are better than others and, and i and i guess everybody does to a certain extent it's just you know mysteries are you, you like a certain type of mystery i don't want to i don't want to know who it is till the very end and if they tell me before that i get i get annoyed you know,
2: yeah, me too, because it has to be like a battle of foot between the reader and the writer. Right. And I, I agree with you. I mean I, I loved Horatio Hornblower, but I I'm not a fan of the inverted mystery and I know the T V show Monk was very, very successful oh, in yeah. the inverted mystery where you knew who had done it. But to me it wasn't interesting about Monk like, you know, detecting
1: You get, I mean, you're talking
2: in this issue. You talk about J.A.
1: Jantz contributing a story and the the fact that she was very helpful and and contributed a story. How do you get these writers to do it when they're so busy writing their own books?
2: Well, the thing is, we've been.
1: Saying is you have clout. <laughs> that's exactly. so, but let's that's, that's be honest about it. You have clout. I mean, it, if the Strand's calling, people will listen. You know, I, and you know, I, I try to get interviews with authors, and there's authors who, who they simply want to go back to writing, and they don't have any time to do it. And it's sad. It makes me cry almost because I really want to talk to these writers and get in there and find out what how they how they crafted this wonderful novel. I've I've been able to I've been lucky enough to interview a ton of of very famous authors, but there's always some, you know, you get that, well, they're not doing interviews, and it's, you know, because the, the state of the interview the, nowadays is like everybody's afraid of what you're going to ask, you know, they're, yeah. just, they're just afraid of what exactly you're going to ask, but and I, you've got a reputation, and you know, I've got a reputation for being those people you, we can, that they can count on, that they can, they know that you're not going to, you're not there to insult them or to hurt them in any way, or to find out something they don't want to tell you. You know, exactly. My fascination is with the writing. How do you do it? How do you write? It? How do you write a book that that flows so smoothly? What What's the secret? What What is it? What How do you do it? I mean, it, it's such an art, and you know, you don't realize till you start writing how difficult it really is. Exactly. It's it's, it's a very very difficult
2: profession, and if you're a middle list author, it's even tougher because you're working as well as writing. You know, I'm engaged to a writer who's written 10 books and you know she's a oh you are yeah she's sold uh you know she's sold uh, hundreds of thousands of copies of her books but you know the state of writing is that you cannot depend upon it as a livelihood unless you're like hitting the bestseller list you know so that's it is that is that
1: like a once you hit the bestseller list you kind of have it made to a certain extent
2: well, the thing about it is this, and this is what the trouble is: is that you know, a lot of times the first book of an author just gets a lot of uh, a lot of buzz and a lot of publicity, and it's a big, 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 big deal. Uh, and then the writer will hit the bestseller list, and then the second book, it'll be the, the press won't cover it as much. It'll sort of be like, okay, we covered this exciting book, and then the author can find themselves on the midlist, and then. Like like Walt, is, Robert you know, F. Waller when he, when he did Bridges of Madison County. Yeah.
1: I mean, he would, that was a phenomenal book. I mean, I loved that book. Now, was it the best written book I've ever read? Of course not. Did I enjoy it immensely? Yes, I did enjoy it immensely. Was it emotional? Yeah. It it really tugged on my heartstrings. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the way it was written. and I And I'm not ashamed to admit that. It's not a mystery, but it's, it's something that I enjoyed. And, but you read the second book he wrote, and it's nothing It's nothing like the first one,
2: and yeah, never many will Many times, be. second books are even better, you know, like, a lot of people will just tell me, like, you know, oh, the second thing that Jillian Flynn wrote was fantastic, it was much better than Gone Girl, Right. but Gone Girl broke out, so, you know, a lot of times it will vary, but, you know, it's just... If, if an author has been on the bestseller list for for a couple of times, you know you know that this is something that they'll probably continue doing professionally.
1: I wonder if uh, I've read your what any of your wife's books. Uh,
2: my wife to be, uh, her name is Elizabeth Heider. Oh. She wrote something called Vanished and Seized and Stock. No, I uh, I, you know, I,
1: I, you know. I very, I must admit, I have not heard of her. <laughs> Well, she comes up with some very creepy serial killers.
2: <laughs> right. Do you get creeped out reading them? To be frank with you, a couple of times I've looked and I've been like, where did this, where in your brain did this come up from?
1: Yeah, really, you wonder what's going on down there.
2: Yeah, better not aggravate her too
1: much. <laughs> but she has, she had some, some su- has had some success.
2: Yeah, she has. She's, uh, she's done, uh, she's done very well. She's gotten like a lot of... Uh, good acclaim from critics and good sales like let's say she's up to half a million books uh, you know so she's done very very well with them And she's just a very very talented writer and her the people who review her books on amazon.com are like i think 4.5 stars so mm-hmm. among among readers but as you guys I was saying with the state of the business the way it is you know you just need to uh, you know you just need to make sure that you're on the bestseller list or inching around that area to feel secure and saying Okay, I'm quitting my day job and I'm gonna write full time.
3: Right.
1: Sort of like John grisham did when he was first starting exactly. out. And you know, look where it got him, very, very far. But you know, what is what is it about him that's different from other legal thriller writers? I mean, that's what you wonder, you ask yourself. Well he had I mean the firm was such a phenomenal first I mean, actually it was the second book, but it, the first really big, crazy, big seller. But, you know, it was just that good of a book. And at the time, nothing had been written like that. Not to yeah. that extent. Now there's now there's been, you know, copycats galore. You, you yeah, know, like I
2: was, was having, I was having lunch with a, a writer friend of mine yesterday who was coming in from out of town, and I said, you know, the problem is, I said, publishers either look at a book and they'll be like, oh, been there, done that. Or they'll look at another book and we'll be like, oh, we can't compare this to anything. So at times the problem could be where if you come up with something unique, people may not know what to do with it. And if you come up with something unique on the plus side, you can go up with, oh, my God, we're going to pour a lot of money in this because this person has an idea that nobody Hmm.
1: Exactly. Now, what's, what's coming up in this strand? You got some exciting stuff happening that you can talk about?
2: Well, we have, uh, we're have we working on another unpublished gem that's going to be coming up. Uh, we have a short story that was written by Max Allen Collins and Mickey Spillane. Oh, wow. Uh, and that, that's going to be published in the next issue. So, uh,
1: When, can, so we, we when have, can we expect the issue, next issue on
2: the newsstands? That will be out late October. Late October. So as you can imagine, I've just been... Uh, if you look at me, I'm starting to look like one of the people from the duck
1: dynasty. <laughs> so this really is this really is a stressful endeavor you have taken on. I mean, to a, a certain extent you you're very stressed every day.
2: Mm, I would say I yeah. would say yeah, it is it, it is it is stressful because you just want to make sure you're going to do the best that you can do.
1: And do you ever feel uh, like do you ever feel like when you go to work do you ever feel like like saying I'm not going to do any work, I'm going to read? <laughs>
2: I feel like that all the time. I'd love to watch soccer on TV, in fact, but then you look at the list of things to do and you're like, oh my God, don't want to be a bigger and a bigger hole than I was before. But, you know, for every day where you say this, what makes all the difference is getting a copy of a magazine, a big box coming from the printer, tearing it open with my bare hands because I don't use scissors or box setters, and then just seeing, like, Ernest Hemingway, John Steinbeck. You know, any type of stress that makes it all worth it. And hearing the comments from you and hearing things from readers are like, oh, you know, I'm I was not feeling well when I was reading your magazine, and it was just a source of joy and entertainment for me. Oh, no, so, see,
1: that that says it yeah. all. I mean, you hear something like that, it makes you just want to work that much harder.
2: Yeah, because my brother is a doctor, so he saves people's lives. So you know, I just. Uh, you know, I I look at myself and I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm entertaining people. This meant saving lives.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So when when I when I hear people say that, I'm like, okay, I feel like, I feel I've accomplished what I was out to accomplish. And that was having a magazine which I would like to read because, you know, if you, you need to create a product that you believe in, and I'm just happy in these past 20 years that whatever we've done, we've believed in. We've just not had this idea of like, we're going to be dialing it in. And even if it means times where I'm very stressed, times where I can't see my fiance enough or hang out with my, uh, my brother and my sister and my family, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's just a very, very good feeling to know that we're giving entertainment to some people and we're, up their, their, their evening and their time when they're not working.
1: Now, is, he, is each magazine usually out on time, or are there some that are delayed?
2: A couple of times we've needed to embargo something or a story, or, you know, we've, there's been, like, arrangements with bookstores where if they're going to promote the magazine, you know, we'll delay it by a week or two. But for the most part, we're, you know, we're, we're pretty punctual.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, how, and how many issues ahead do you plan? I mean, you were... You obviously must have the other the next issue pretty much finished by
2: right now. is not anything new we're publishing. Right. So we had to take it out, put something new instead with like, you know, 72 hours before going to press. Mm-hmm. And I was just so mad. I was so, so, so upset. We had the illustration. We had everything all said. I even had some media for this. So then I contacted the library that had the story which he referred to, and Thank goodness it was completely, completely different from the story that we were looking at. So in the next issue, we did end up publishing that J.M. Barry spoof, and, uh, and that, re- that generated a lot of interest. A lot of people like, who's J.M. Barry, And then you say Peter Pan, and they're like, oh, Peter Pan. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's just... Yeah, so and that's where the stress comes. <laughs> so it's just as a as a magazine editor, you know, you just never know what's coming day by day. No, you just never know what you never you never know what you're gonna be faced with. Have you ever worked for any other magazine, or has this been the only one?
2: This has been the only one. Right. And will be the only one. i the first editor of The Strand. Uh, was working from uh, 1890 to 1930. And he retired, Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle retired, or actually passed away and stopped writing. Right. So my aim is to—I uh, have 20 more years to uh, to break his record. Right. Well, I—I I I think I'll go for another 30, though.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, you put together such a wonderful magazine. I'm—I'm I'm so happy I was able to talk to you and get learn some things about it. And you know, like I said, I just paid you the. the just to see everything, you know, it's just amazing, and 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 to be able to to know that you put so much work and with so much love into it, you know, it, it's it's a wonderful feeling for you and for me as as the reader. So,
2: thank you so much. This was really really great. And it's nice to talk to somebody who has the magazine in front of them, knows about it, and loves it. And to me that. I mean, oh, yeah, a of, wonderful, course. Wonderful
1: of course, I, Every course. T- every time I see it in the bookstore, it's hard for me not to go over and pick it up and look through it again and again and again. I'm drawn to it, you know, and I, someday I'll get a subscription and I'll be able to... So there's nothing like that feeling of, of waiting for the next issue to come. It's such a wonderful feeling, except if you're waiting months and, it, and it's delayed, then, then you get kind of frustrated. But, yeah. yeah. Between your magazine and Mystery Scene, which I love, which I think is phenomenal also, you know, those are the ones that I, you know, I look forward to seeing every issue. You know, you'd love to see that new issue, that feeling of that new issue. There's, that never goes away, that excitement. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. I really, really am. You make my day. And, and you you must feel the same way when you see the new issue land on your desk and you realize all that work, that hard work you put into it has has turned it into something great.
2: Exactly. It's always a wonderful feeling. Like I said, it's just the same thrill that I've had when I was a very, very young man, and I started out, and now it's like I'm 42, and I guess the thrill never, never goes away. It's like this, just this wonderful adventure, this wonderful dream come true. And even though there are the nightmarish times, I know one thing. It's, this is something where you can be mad at times, you can be frustrated, you can feel tired but it's, like, something you never want to stop doing.
1: Now, is, is your cover usually
2: have something to do with one of the stories inside? No, we just look for art from all around the world, and, you know, we just, we're not into, like, having the face of a writer or a photograph. We just want this, our trademark is, like, a cover which you'd want to frame and hang up over your, over your mantelpiece, so mm-hmm. we just,
1: really terrific well Andrew Gooley, it's been uh, amazing and thank you so much and this has been David's Book Talk and we'll talk to you next time my pleasure thank you so much
0: take care you have just enjoyed the podcast of David's Book Talk brought to you by your host book lover David English please visit us at DavidBookTalk.com. follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast we want to hear from you and we don't want you to miss our upcoming shows with top authors like Mary Higgins Clark, Patricia Cornwell, Lisa Scottoline, Jackie Collins, Nelson DeMille, Michael Connolly, Sue Grafton, Steve Martini, Dale Brown, and David Baldacci.